The Holy Gospel according to Luke. See, Lord Christ. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord of their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and take away my disgrace among the people. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name's Paul. For those who are visiting, I'm the senior pastor here. It is a joy to share with you this morning about John the Baptist from Luke chapter 1. But before we dive in, could you bow your heads with me as I share another brief word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, we pray, come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to begin by asking all of you this question. Have you ever had the chance to play a part in a story much bigger than your own? On January 24th, 2021, with temperatures 
below freezing and two of the greatest quarterbacks of all time facing off. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers had the ball on the Green Bay 39-yard line with eight seconds to go before halftime. That's when Tom Brady took the snap into the dismay of the watching football world, found a tiny, unknown wide receiver from Bowling Green State University speeding down the left side of the field and connected with him for a 39-yard touchdown. The points would prove invaluable as the Bucks would go on to win the game 31 to 26. From there, the men in pewter and red would face off against the Kansas City Chiefs in Super Bowl 55 and win 31 to nine, capping off an incredible year. As written by Michael David Smith of Pro Football Talk, a few days after the game at Lambeau Field, quote, Buccaneers wide receiver Scotty Miller was one of the best high school football players in the Chicago area. But college is barely noticed. Then he had an excellent career at Bowling Green State, but fell to the sixth round of the NFL draft. And until his Big pre-halftime touchdown in the NFC championship game. Many NFL fans had never even heard of him. Yet Miller says he thrives on all of it. Quote, it's a crazy underdog story. I've just kind of been doubted my whole life because of my size and other things as well. Miller told media outlets, at five feet, nine inches, and weighing just over 170 pounds, the receiver would go on to say, it's been like that since youth football, ever since I started playing. I remember tackle football in fifth grade. I still, in my opinion, was probably the best guy out there. I'm always confident in my abilities and myself, even back then but I was riding the bench even then. The coach didn't want to put me in, but every time I got an opportunity, I made a play. And it's really been that way my whole life. So I've just tried to take advantage of every opportunity I've gotten. It's been an awesome journey, says Miller. There have been some lows and there have been some highs, but I try to take every day one day at a time, work hard, and try to maximize my potential. And maximize his potential, he did, catching one of the greatest catches in NFL postseason history. I especially love the raw honesty of this line. Quote, the coach didn't want to put me in, but every time I got an opportunity, I was able to make a play. Now, turning our attention to Luke chapter one, our passage for today, I imagine that's kind of how Zechariah and Elizabeth felt in their own lives. All of their lives, they'd been living blamelessly, following the Lord's commands, yet they were still without child. 
They were on the bench, so to speak, with their lineage about to die out. And then something happened. They got tapped by God to get in the game. And forever their story is written in the pages of history. Let me ask you again, have you ever had the chance to play a part in a story much bigger than your own? And might this notion, in fact, be part of our collective call to Christmas? This leads us to our big idea from our passage today. The story of Christmas shows God's plan is always unfolding before us unfolding within us and unfolding beyond what we will ever see. Let me repeat that. The story of Christmas shows God's plan is always unfolding before us, always unfolding within us, and always unfolding beyond what we will ever see. So let's unpack this together. Point one, the story of Christmas shows God's plan is always unfolding before us, Our passage begins, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Now, if I had to choose two words to describe Zechariah and Elizabeth, those words would be faithful and true. Why? Well, first, faithful. According to our passage, both Zechariah and Elizabeth came from a rich heritage, a priestly heritage, as both were descendants of Aaron, the brother of Moses. Aaron, as you might recall, was the first priest of the Levitical priesthood and helped lead the people of Israel out of bondage, bondage excuse me, into the promised land. And a couple of other things are noteworthy here. Elizabeth's name was the same name as Aaron's own wife. That's kind of interesting, right? Moreover, as prophetically would be proven true in our own passage, the name Zechariah literally means the Lord has remembered. Thus, while Zechariah was probably just a modest country priest, he and Elizabeth were connected to a much bigger story, a story that God's fingerprints were all over before they were even born. This leads us to the word true. Zechariah and Elizabeth were true to their calling as people and leaders. Our passage says they walked blamelessly in the commands and decrees of the Lord, or as the message puts it, they lived honorably before God. Now, friends, this doesn't mean they were perfect, though I know some of us like to put that pressure on ourselves or those we love. Rather, it means they were trusting in the sovereignty and grace of God. They would have known the word of God and they would have cherished the covenants of God, the Abrahamic covenant that Drew preached on a couple weeks ago, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and such. To use a modern expression, these were good people. They were good people, always trying to say and do the right 
thing. However, here's where the story gets really interesting. In spite of them being faithful and true, being really good people, they were also really hurting people. We're told they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. And this, you see, would have been very painful and shameful for them. In the words of theologian Kent Hughes, in any culture, infertility is an aching disappointment and for some an un almost unbearable stress, but the burden cannot be compared to that borne by childless women in ancient Hebrew culture because barrenness was considered a disgrace, even a punishment. He goes on, for example, Hagar looked down on Sarah when Hagar conceived, but Sarah remained barren, Genesis 16, verse four. Leah referred to her former barrenness as affliction, Genesis 29, verse 32. In infertile, Hannah wept bitterly, 1 Samuel 1, five through eight. So our passage sets us up to see a faithful and true couple carrying deep pain, all, some connect, all somehow connected to a much bigger story. Do you see it? Can you relate to it? I imagine in the raw conversations of the night, Zachariah and Elizabeth sometimes ask themselves, Where, where's God in this? Where's God in our story? And I imagine in the raw conversations that you and I have sometimes in the middle of the night, we ask these questions, where is God in this? Where's God in my story? Where's God in my infertility? Where's God in my unmet longings? Where's God in my broken dreams or my broken body? Where's God in the loss of my loved one? Where is God in blank? Fill in the blank. Just this past week, in reflecting on the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth with a group of friends, one of them said, this one stings. For years, my wife carried the shame of us not being able to have a baby. For years, she carried the pain around, her, around with her every single day. And perhaps you can relate to a similar pain today. What I find so comforting about the Bible is that God doesn't downplay or dismiss our struggles. He actually acknowledges them and enters into them, which is part of this story. And it's part of the Christmas story. It is precisely why the details of Zachariah and Elizabeth's story are mentioned here in Luke 1 today. Point one, the story of Christmas shows God's plan is always unfolding before us. This leads us to point two. The story of Christmas shows God's plan is always then unfolding within us. Now, just to lift and lighten the mood for a minute, do any of you remember these? Any of you? The amazing conversion vans of Chevrolet from the 1980s? As Taylor saw this picture, he goes, those are awesome present tense. I love it. 
Well, today, two of my heroes are here in worship, and that's my mom and my dad, Steve and Georgiana. Can we give them a warm One Fellowship welcome? And here's the deal. Growing up in Central Florida in the 70s and the 80s, we had no Major League Baseball teams around, and my dad loved baseball. So every once in a while, my dad would secure one of these huge Chevy conversion vans and drive us all the way to Atlanta to watch the Braves play. Do we have any Braves fans here today? Congratulations on your recent championship. Well, back then is when you could go to the clubhouse restaurant upstairs and meet homering Hank Aaron, which I was able to do as a kid. Back then is when Dale Murphy could be found playing in the outfield. Do you remember those days? And we would drive all the way from Little Lake Wells, Florida to see it, to see the Braves. Now, listen, beyond remembering the big cushy seats in the vans we drove or the state-of-the-art entertainment console, those rectangular TVs, any of you remember those? Those were amazing. I remember the trip as a kid being oh so long. And fittingly, I'd ask my dad or my brother to ask our dad over and over again four words. You know what those four words are? Are we there yet? Any parents relate to those words? Well, guess what? Returning to our passage, those words or something similar are probably what the people of Israel had been asking God when the story unfolded. You see, it had been over 400 years since God's people had last heard from God, since the book of Malachi was shared in the Old Testament. And I'm sure God's people were restless and tired from the journey. And that's the backdrop of our text. And that's the backdrop of the Christmas story. There had been a lot of waiting on multiple fronts, you see. And it's here in the waiting when the following occurs. Once when Zachariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zachariah saw him, He was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. And he will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah 
to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Can you imagine this encounter? After all of the waiting, the waiting for a child by Zechariah and Elizabeth, the waiting for God's presence and deliverance by the people of Israel, it's no wonder that Zechariah was stunned. It was all so personal and powerful. First, the angel calls him by name, Zechariah, your prayer's been heard. Next, the angel says to Zechariah that the child will fill him with joy and delight. Many will rejoice because of his birth. It's also hopeful and personal. And then the angel drops this bomb. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people for the Lord. Whoa! In other words, this child wasn't just to be for them personally. He was to be for God's people corporately. And for someone like Zechariah, who would have known all the prophetic promises of the Old Testament, these words would have been oh so powerful. Listen to this. Friends, do you know the last words of the whole Old Testament? The last words of the book of Malachi, they're virtually identical to what we read here in Luke 1. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children, the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. In other words, in one moment, in one setting, through one angelic announcement, two, two sets of prayers and promises were fulfilled. Isn't that incredible? After years and years of waiting, as the New Testament begins, the fading light of an old man's faith in the failing light of a tired people's journey are met by the white-hot fire of God's faithfulness. Let me ask, can any of you use the white-hot fire of God's faithfulness in your life today? In some place where your own faith light has begun to fade. Years after this account, the writer of Hebrews would write to God's people these words, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. And as we see here, yes, he can. God can be trusted to keep his promise. Furthermore, the apostle Paul would later write these words, to the church in Rome. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Yes, he does. God is always working for the good of his family, for the good of his kids. Point two, the story of Christmas shows God's plan is always unfolding within us. 
And this leads us to point three. The story of Christmas shows God's plan is always unfolding beyond what we will ever see. Looking at how our passage ends, I love how Zechariah responds to the angel. Zechariah asks the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Now you notice the exact words Zechariah uses here. He doesn't say, how can this be since I'm an old man and my wife's an old woman? He does not say that. He's too savvy for that. He says, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is, she's well along in years. You see it? It's pretty smooth, Zechariah. What I also love about this account is just how human it is. This guy, Zechariah, who'd been following the Lord his whole life, who had just had a divine encounter, who had been praying for this exact result, still struggled to believe. You see, sometimes our biggest stumbling block in faith is not God. It's us. Still, this story shows us plain and clear that God will use ordinary people from ordinary places with ordinary doubts to accomplish extraordinary things. Do you believe that this morning, Jones family? Do you believe that, Maddie? That God can use you? Rivers, do you believe that this morning? Brandon, do you believe God can do extraordinary things through you? That proves true here, as John or John the Baptist would later be born to Elizabeth and pave the very way for Jesus. Now, one last thing before we close, and it might throw some of you for a loop, but it bears mentioning nonetheless. Here it is. You ready? In the scriptures, Neither parent, Zechariah or Elizabeth, ever get to see their son grow up and fulfill his calling. Listen, by the time of Jesus' ministry some 30 years later, which John helps inaugurate, neither parent was around to see their son lead, preach, or do his thing. That's interesting, right? You see, their story as part of the Christmas story, as part of God's much bigger story, lived beyond their very lives, beyond what they would ever see. And so it is with us. Our story is part of God's story as an outworking of the Christmas story is meant to live far beyond our lives, far beyond what we will ever see. And if you think about it and pray about it, it's quite the captivating thought quite the captivating reality. It means your life and my life and our lives have divinely appointed in eternal significance. You ever thought of that? Our lives, in other words, are meant to matter beyond what we could ever even dream. That's why later in the New Testament, all the followers of Jesus, all of the followers of Jesus are invited to expand their vision and our vision in the very view of our lives. 
Listen, like Zechariah, Peter tells us that everyone, everyone in the church is now a member of a royal priesthood that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light, you and me. Furthermore, Luke tells us in the book of Acts, all believers, not some, all believers are to be filled with the Holy Spirit and serve as witnesses of Jesus to the very ends of the earth. Do you see the connection to our passage? Do you see the call in our lives? Lindsay, the call on your life. In Christmas and, and in us, God's plan is always unfolding beyond what we will ever see. Now let's return to our opening illustration as we land this plane. Do you realize how easy it would have been for little Scotty Miller to give up on football? Think about it. Sitting on the bench off and on all his, as Bobby Bowden would say, daggum life. You're too small. You're too short. You're too inexperienced is what he had to hear time and time again. Do you realize how easy it would have been for him to just throw in the towel and walk away? The same was true for Zachariah and Elizabeth. They were old, or Kathy, well along in years, amen? And they had every reason to give up. Yet what did they do? What did they do? Every day they got up and they looked up, trusting that God had a plan. Now bringing this all into the here and now, I know that some of you have tuned in and walked in today carrying great, great disappointment in your life. You're ready to give up as the pain in your heart has become too much to bear. You've taken hit after hit after hit, or you've sat on the bench for far too long. You know what? You're tired and you're disappointed. If this is you, let me encourage you and all of us with this. As we've seen in today's passage, the white hot fire of God's faithfulness can change any day in any situation. Do you believe that? If you are here, whatever brought you into our community in our story, here's the deal. God's not done with your story. God's not done with your story. Do not be afraid, Zachariah. Your prayer has been heard. Let God hear your prayer in your heart today. No matter your age and no matter how many times you've cried out to him, cry out to him again today. Friends, trust God with your today. Friends, trust God with your tomorrow. The story of Christmas shows God's plan is always unfolding before us, unfolding within us, and unfolding beyond what we will ever see. Let us pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story. It's part of our story. It's part of your much bigger story. Lift our hearts and our eyes to you today. Give us hope. Give us peace. Saturate us with the love that's found in this story and in the Christmas story, the hope, the eternal hope that we have in Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.